0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Testing, sorry, volume. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, we'll read the first eight verses. Today we're going to be preaching on just verse 8, but if you look at verse 8, it's got the word for, the beginning, that's a conjunction, a conjunction always connects you with something previous, so we can't ever take a bible verse out of context it is uh the conjunction lets us know it's connected with things that came before and that's why we have to study verse eight in its context of the previous seven verses which we'll get to do uh, a little later but follow with me and that song we just sang really that's a prayer that's a prayer from the heart of a christian speak O lord so we're asking god to speak and god does speak he's the living god and he speaks through his word through scripture that's what we believe of how god speaks Today, and it's uh, real truth, it is objective truth. And it's the living word of God coming from the living God Himself through the ministry of the living Holy Spirit of God to the people of God. So we indeed can even see prayer answered here. Speak, O Lord. Now it's God open our hearts so that we might hear what you have to say in your precious word. Follow along as I read, starting at verse one of First Corinthians twelve. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Uh, You may be seated and join with me as I commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to come before you in prayer as your children. I thank you that you paved a way to direct access to your holy throne through the work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest and our mediator. those of us who know you personally, because of our belief in the gospel, thank you that through that you have made us priests, allowing us access to your gracious. Own. and we offer our prayers to you this morning uh, prayers of worship of intercession and also of request and we just thank you for that great privilege I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who allows us to literally communicate with you the infinite living God of the universe and you communicate with us through your word and in such a personal way as well um So remind us of that great truth. God, we do commit this day to you, this day of worship, where we have the wonderful privilege to gather with the saints of our local body. And as I said, we come to worship you first of all. And we pray that our worship would be something that is pleasing to you, that is pure. I pray that you would allow us to put away distractions of our life, um, trials that weigh us down, concerns and worries about the future. And that we can lay those at your feet, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to guard and protect our minds so that we could be at ease and at peace and focused on you this day. God also prepare our hearts for receiving your word, learning from your word, learning from the Holy Spirit who is our ultimate teacher. That we can understand uh, the truth of Scripture. And God also help us to submit to it and apply it to our life. And we need your help to that end as well god thank you for being our great provider so faithful how you care for your church as you are the head you died for your church with giving your precious blood the church being your precious bride what a wonderful privilege and great reminder so we thank you for your love for us your care for us ongoing provision for us we have continual needs. We lay those before you as well. We need wisdom as we are sh- so short-sighted. We ask that in faith, God, and pray that you would give us wisdom in our life, in our corporate life as a church, but also in individual lives as we walk with you in our family life and so many other areas. We need very specific direction leading and prompting from you. So we ask that you'd be gracious to that end as well. God, I pray for special needs we might have in our church and there are are always special, pressing needs among our people with the trials of life. So I pray you'd give comfort for those who are in distress or struggling with trials in various ways. Give comfort and relief and also wisdom to those suffering physically as we have those in our midst. God, give relief and provision for those who have financial trials and struggles they be reminded that you're sovereign they need to put their trust in you that you would use all these short these trials and hardships in life to motivate us to prayers you want praying people you want us to walk by faith you want us to rest in you and god we need your help to do that god remind us that you are the giver of all things help us to be faithful stewards of all that you have blessed us with help us to be generous sharing with others where we see the need And I pray that you would bless uh, even the offering that's taken today, that you would use it to further ministry, that we would be wise um, with every penny, and also that you would receive it as an act of pure worship. Uh, So we pray you would bless that as well. And uh, Father, we again just thank you for your love for us that you've shown through Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
1: Could fall like rain from these lips of mine. And if I had a thousand years, I would still run out of time. But listen to our hearts, every beat will say, Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the life, thank you for the way. So listen to our hearts, hear our spirits sing, A song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. Listen. Words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our hearts.
0: Thanks, Ed. We have the privilege now to go to God's Word together. So I'd invite you to look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll pick up there. We're going to be looking at verse 8 as we're going through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 together. And the topic of those three chapters is spiritual gifts, as Paul says. That was one of the biggest problems, actually, that the Corinthian church had. That may have been the catalyst as to why Paul wrote this letter. Because in the very beginning of the letter, right when he says grace to you in Christ, and he commends them for believing in the gospel, he makes reference immediately to some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Uh, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, and he even mentions gifts, you are incredibly gifted by the Spirit. Uh, So he alludes to that, and now he's going to take it head on for three chapters. And so that's what we're doing, and we're going to cover it pretty thoroughly because it's so important and relevant for us today. Um, Also, we have Children's Church today. So if you are in fifth grade and below and you'd like to be part of Children's Church, you can go ahead and walk back to the lobby. And it looks like Mr. Holstein is the Bible teacher of the day. Thank you, Aaron. That's great. As they're going through a study of the Bible, I believe. Um, And we'll catch up with the kiddos later. Before we get to that, just a couple announcements. Uh, I mentioned how God has brought upon us to us a special ministry to some pastors in southern India that are in a pretty isolated part of india where there's a high percentage of muslims who are actually kind of hostile to christianity so it's a very tough part of the world for them pastor john paul was the one that i've been working with communicating with and he's got 10 other local pastors and we're doing some bible study through skype we'll have another session coming up on wednesday kind of seminary level classes for these pastors who have no resources well this church gave so generously to that christmas need of pastor john paul that There's enough money left that we um, were able to get tickets for John Paul from southern India, and we're going to fly him out here so that we can take him to the Shepherds Conference, which is going to be a historic Shepherds Conference this year, Uh, the largest they've ever had, uh, maybe up to 4,000 men from around the world. Uh, They're adding a day to it, and they're calling it not the Shepherds Conference, but uh, the Inerrancy Summit, and um, some wonderful speakers, and John Paul, we let him know, We, we offered to have him come out here. He is blessed beyond belief. That's going to allow the opportunity for me to interact with him at length personally and talk about the future of ministry and get to know his church uh, even better. So he is thrilled. Uh, He'll be flying in around February 26th, 27th. We'll escort him down there. About eight or nine of us come from this church down to the Shepherds Conference. um, And he'll be blessed down there. And then upon his return, he'll be here for a couple of days before he flies out. So I was going to let our body know if anybody is interested in spending some time with uh, John Paul, pastor from India and even hosting him in your home for a couple of days, which would be March 7th, 8th, and 9th, or any one of those days, uh, I'm going to open that up to some of our members. If you're interested, you can write that on a white card uh, to me, and then I'll send out an even more detailed email this week of those dates, March seven, eight, and nine. I think it's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, and then I'll fly him back to, uh, or take him to the airport when he has to depart, I think on Monday or Tuesday. So that's just an opportunity. Several of you have inquired. Uh, that would be a blessed opportunity. If you are all interested in hosting John Paul from southern India, uh, please let me know. Also, oh, newsflash update. Uh, again, I, I'm i not a woman. I don't know how this works. But apparently when you are with child and blessed by God and your womb is open, apparently the physiological things that happen. Uh, many changes take place, and one is with respect to your diet and things that you long for and thirst for, and one of those apparently is, I've been told, things like Taco Bell and some things that you didn't like before you were pregnant, and then also uh, salt, just this high craving of salt. So I, just out of the blue, I woke up this morning and thought, you know, I'm going to bring some saltine crackers to church today to see if there's any ladies in particular that need, does anybody need any salt relief if you'd like uh, to come up and grab, wait, oh, there's, Wow. Go ahead and grab one. Just. Yippee! It's a boy! No, we don't. I don't know that. That was Michelle. Congratulations, Michelle. Michelle and Colin Aiken. Um, keep them in prayer and baby in prayer, okay? Um, and as the day approaches, we'll give you more information about due date and all that good stuff. So God is the giver of life. He opens the womb. We thank him. For that, with that, uh, let's go and look at First Corinthians, chapter 12. And on your bulletin, I put a title there for you. It's just one verse because there's so much information to say about this. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Um, that's the title because that's the two gifts that are introduced. Just to give you a big picture on our study together, so we don't get lost in the minutia of the discontinuity of. One verse at a time, week after week. Chapter 12 goes together. Kind of one inclusive argument. So we don't want to lose track of that. I think there's a theme verse that ties it all together. And that would be verse 7, which we covered last week. So if you were wanting to uh, make those observations, that's a key one. I think that verse 7 is absolutely key to the entire chapter. It's an umbrella statement. And this is what Paul said in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. But to each one, each Christian is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, to every single Christian, a spiritual gift is given by the Spirit of God. So that's kind of a theme all throughout. Every Christian has a spiritual gift, and it's by the same Holy Spirit. The reason that is so important is because Paul is countering wrong thinking of the Corinthians, because it is obvious and apparent from the context that some of the Corinthians... In light of the showy nature of their gift, the speaking gifts, they actually thought that they had spiritual gifts while some of the other Christians did not. There were the haves and the have-nots among them. And because of that arrogant thinking, the thinking, well, I have a spiritual gift, my fellow believer lowly believer does not have a spiritual gift, which means I have a greater quotient of the Holy Spirit in my possession than my fellow Christian. And Paul, that's another truth that Paul counters. No, the same Holy Spirit is accessible to every Christian. And get this, the same amount of the Holy Spirit is accessible to every Christian. So those are just two main truths. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Every Christian has the same access to the Holy Spirit of God. And there aren't the haves and the have nots. That's a false distinction that he's trying to lay to rest. And so that's what he means in verse 7. But to each one, every Christian, a spiritual gift is given. And to get specific, that's where verse 8 kicks in. 8, 9, and 10, Paul's actually illustrating that truth. I just said that every Christian has a spiritual gift from the Spirit of God. And so he actually starts listing spiritual gifts. He lists nine in a row. Here are the spiritual gifts I'm talking about, by the way. And the reason I think he's choosing the ones that he does here, these nine, these were nine that were of discussion among the Corinthians that they were having problems with. Especially the first ones, uh, a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. The Corinthians thought, some of the Corinthians thought they were gifted with a supernatural spirit of wisdom that other Christians didn't have. They had a wrong view of wisdom. That's why Paul Uh, early on said you guys are you're arrogant some of you you have a twisted and distorted view of wisdom by the way you have a worldly view of wisdom you have a view of wisdom that you inherited from pagan greeks and so he challenged their view of wisdom in chapter one and chapter two we already covered that some of you are totally confused when we talk about wisdom it's not wisdom from the world it is wisdom from god it has nothing to do with human logic human study human effort human intuition human experience It is supernatural wisdom from God given to believers and specific believers to give revelation about God. So he was exhaustive about what wisdom was where they were confused. And so that's why he mentions this spiritual gift, speaking of spiritual gifts that every Christian has by the spirit of God. And he starts listing them. So he lists nine in a row. So the first part of verse seven applies to verses eight, nine and ten. And then uh, in chapter 12, verses 11, through the rest of the chapter, is an unfolding and illustration of the second part of verse 7. That's why I think verse 7 is such a great verse that covers the entire content of chapter 12. Because in the second part of verse uh, 7, he says, these spiritual gifts are given for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given not for your own individual edification, your own pleasure. You've been given a spiritual gift, Christian, to bless others to edify others it is outward oriented and some of you are being arrogant and using your so-called spiritual gift in the wrong way just to puff yourself up and edify yourself that is wrong don't do that your spiritual gift is for the common good it is for everybody it's for the whole body of christ and if you're exercising a spiritual gift and it is not influencing and blessing others then it is illegitimate he argues that for three chapters And so that's what he's emphasizing again at the end of verse 7. Your spiritual gift is for the common good. And then verses 11 through the rest of the chapter, that is his emphasis. Here is how spiritual gifts bless the common good, the body of Christ, the many members, corporate blessing, corporate edification, corporate growth. It's about the family of God. It's not individualistic, which is what you, Corinthians, are making it. So they, have had a problem with self-centeredness in this entire book on several topics, from the Lord's table to, uh, eating meat and their, and the individual rights and now with spiritual gifts. All these things, communion, your, uh, your liberties in Christ, how you use your spiritual gifts are all supposed to be done in deference to others, starting with the people of God, for the glory of God, and they're doing just the opposite. It's all self-centered, ego-centered. Centric, And so that's what he's challenging. So let's go ahead and look at verse. So verses 8 through 10, they go together. And we're actually going to look at these nine spiritual gifts. We need to because they are familiar to us today in terms of um, we hear about them, these spiritual gifts. We see them practiced, supposedly, all throughout the church. Um, there is a lot of confusion about it. If you have been missing Sundays and you're a regular here, you need to go back and here are the previous sermons because on this chapter because they build on one another. I guarantee when I'm done today, some of you are going to have questions. Well, whoa, that didn't get clarified. And probably some of those questions I already addressed. And it came previously. That's why it's important to, to stay caught up because Paul is building on one argument after the other. There's continuity of thought here. So um, that will be helpful to stay caught up. So let's go ahead and look at this. Uh, these two... First two of nine verses that he talks about for to every Christian, uh, there are spiritual gifts and for to one Christian is the word of wisdom through the spirit, same spirit and to another, to a different person. That's another distinction. He's saying not all Christians have the same gift to a different person. This gift is given. Just highlighting another truth. Not all Christians have the same gifts. Not everybody's supposed to be doing the same thing, the same level. Not everybody's supposed to have the word of knowledge. Not everybody's supposed to have the gift of speaking in tongues. He's going to say that again at the end of this chapter. And that's what he's saying right here. To another, to another, to another, to a different person, a different gift. And so he delineates two gifts here. For to one is given the word. So to one Christian, God, through his spirit, gives the gift of the word of wisdom. Lagos is the word for word here. Some translations say message. That's actually, or utterance. That's actually a better translation of the word Lagos. Lagos can mean Word. But in the New Testament, most of the time, the majority of the time, it doesn't mean a specific word. It actually means a message, a statement, an utterance. So statement, utterance, message is the best translation. And even some of our English translations use that translation. So one Christian is the gift of an utterance of wisdom. Wisdom is the word Sophia. Sophie, pretty girl's name, means wisdom. Uh, wisdom is a familiar word to the corinthians as a matter of fact the word sophia or wisdom that's in the greek language in their day 2000 years ago the greeks spoke of a wisdom but it was a pagan wisdom it was a different kind of wisdom it was a worldly wisdom or an occultic wisdom a proud wisdom a limited wisdom a human wisdom a fallen wisdom deceptive wisdom an arrogant wisdom and that's kind of how they grew up under that influence. So they were a little confused when they became believers about wisdom. So Paul had to correct that in chapter one and two. But there is a legitimate kind of wisdom. There's a false wisdom, a false Sophia, and a true biblical Sophia. So Paul has to clarify that in their mind. And that's what he already did in chapter one and chapter two. He talked about false wisdom. It's of the world. It's pagan. It's limited. It's arrogant. And then there's the true wisdom. doesn't come from humans it comes only from god it comes from heaven it is direct revelation it is divine revelation it is special revelation it's given through the spirit of god it is given to believers so this gift uh, for to a christian one of the gifts that is given is called the word or a message or an utterance of wisdom and the word logos here also means utterance and the emphasis is on spoken communication so whoever was gifted with this gift the word of wisdom They weren't necessarily gifted as much in writing as in speaking and communicating. And it was probably a moment-by-moment, spontaneous thing that God gave that person to speak a certain kind of spiritual divine truth to the people of God that they might be blessed, a heavenly wisdom. So they had the ability to speak and communicate in a very gifted, specialized, edifying, clear manner. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to the other the word of knowledge the logos of gnosis the word for knowledge there is gnosis a familiar term for knowledge a message and an utterance of knowledge so those are the two gifts i want to look at is uh the gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge and the question is well what is the gift of a word of wisdom and what is the gift of a word of knowledge so a couple of things uh we need to note up front The gift of a word of knowledge, an utterance of knowledge, a statement of knowledge, is not the same as generic, general... No, let's go with wisdom, because that comes first. A word of wisdom, the gift of the word of wisdom, is not the same thing as wisdom that is available to all Christians, as God has promised. James 1.5 says, If any of you Christians lack wisdom, then pray to God. Ask Him for wisdom in that specific situation. If you pray according to the will of God... And in faith, God will give you the needed wisdom. That's wisdom available to any Christian for decision-making in certain contexts of life. That is not what he's talking about here. So he's making a distinction. So there's three kinds of wisdom. There's false wisdom. There's generic wisdom that's available to any Christian. And then there was this supernatural, limited kind of gift of wisdom that only a few Christians had. It was called the word of wisdom. Very important to keep that in mind. So this isn't just a wise person. Oh, yeah, those older people in our church, they're all kind of wise because they're experienced and they got gray hair and they all have the gift of wisdom. That, no, that's not true. That's not what he's talking about. Now, those older saints in our church, they are wise and experienced. Yeah, they are. And we need to lean on their wisdom. That's practical wisdom and a different kind of wisdom uh, that God uses. But this is different. This is a limited gift that not every Christian had. Uh, so we need to keep that in mind. The same thing with the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge was a specific gift uh given to a limited amount of Christians who had an ability through the Holy Spirit to utter or to speak divine statements of knowledge and truth. And not every Christian had that ability. So it is when it says the gift of the word of knowledge, it's not talking about everybody's ability to study, to learn, to amass information, to amass knowledge, to keep growing as a Christian. Uh, that is not what it's talking about. So he makes a distinction between general knowledge... Because Paul says in Ephesians, we need to keep growing in our knowledge of Christ. Every Christian needs to keep growing in their knowledge of Christ. That's not this kind of knowledge. This is a different kind of knowledge. This is the gift of a word of knowledge. So very important to keep that distinction in mind. So uh, let's go ahead and look at your handout, the first three statements that prepare us for actually defining the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Uh, number one, Paul names the specific gifts. Paul delineates uh gifts by name then there's a reason for that because uh, god gave specific gifts they're not just generic can't just say it doesn't matter what the gifts are no it does matter the gift of apostleship was a specific gift with specific requirements applications so it matters especially when they are delineated by name they are to be taken seriously so he gives specific names of gifts number two the spirit gives the gifts at his discretion okay we've seen that and that was a point we already made he's going to continue to hammer away at this the holy spirit gives the gifts as he wills as he sees fit we don't have the right or even the ability to go and dear god i want this one and i want that one and i want it doesn't work that way it's at his will he sovereignly distributes the gifts and then number three not everyone has the same gifts and that is clear in these three chapters as well and in other passages of Scripture. Uh, even people with the same gift say, uh, if I have the gift of teaching and there's another brother that has a gift of teaching or another sister has a gift of teaching, even our gift of teaching is going to be different because it's like a fine diamond. No diamonds are identical. They have different uh, cuts and beauties to them and whatever else with that diversity and beauty and complexity that God gives all giftedness. So uh, that's to God's credit is the wonderful diverse creator so not all christians have the same gifts with that let's go ahead and look and see well, what are these the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge first let me tell you what the word of wisdom is not now i mentioned this i think every time i preached on first corinthians 12 now to remind us all we all have different backgrounds in terms of our theological and biblical understanding when it comes to spiritual gifts some of us don't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge about spiritual gifts. Some of you have admitted that to me and said, I'm actually kind of ignorant. I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm not on the cutting edge of the charismatic debate and all that stuff. And the Pentecostalism doesn't even know what that is. And spiritual gifts never really studied them. And so there's that camp. And then there's the camp of others who have come up under charismatic influence and Pentecostal teaching. And then there are others who have gone through and morphed through all that stuff and others who never had any experience with charismatic backgrounds, but came up maybe from on the other end of the spectrum in christianity so i realize there's a variance of influences in our thinking that's why we're just going to stick with what the bible says it's got to be our guide it has to and uh, we're just going to go through scripture and ask the holy spirit to be our teacher and try to study this together and be committed to hearing the truth and submitting to the truth as it is revealed we trust through scripture so that's going to be our approach uh, and that's going to be true, even with these first two gifts that we're looking at i'm saying that because these gifts today are very controversial, just as a test this week. I did a little survey myself asking various Christians, so what do you think the gift of uh the word of wisdom is? What do you think Christian the word of knowledge some people said, huh uh I don't know what's that others actually some had very specific definitive answers and some had very specific definitive answers that disagreed with others who had very specific definitive answers of what it was which uh, showed me that wow, we we seem to be confused and we are then it got worse as I opened up my 24 commentaries on First Corinthians so I studied my Greek text and I was looking at the context and I was trying to come up with uh, what I think the word of wisdom is and the word of knowledge and I thought I came up with something that I thought came out of the context of Scripture, it, primarily in Corinthians, because Paul talks about wisdom uh, 19 times, I think. 19 times he talks about Sophia in 1 Corinthians. Uh, that is overwhelming because he hardly talks about Sophia in any other epistle. And it's because the Corinthians were preoccupied with Sophia or wisdom. So Paul is very clear about what it was so we got to study it in context. That's what was driving me. Then I read all these commentaries, and I literally started writing them down on verse 8. This scholar believes this. And then I got like 11 or 12 different views. And these were all great scholars doing exegesis, trying to be faithful to God's word, all the way from John Calvin, actually Augustine to Calvin to modern-day theologians, all of which I respect. And it was all over the map. And uh, so just so you know that, that's a challenge of what we're dealing with here. There was a common theme, though, in all of them. They all, And this is legit. They said, we don't have a whole lot of information on these two gifts, the the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, because this is the only time it's mentioned in Scripture. We actually don't really see it explicitly illustrated anywhere in the rest of the Bible in the New Testament. Paul doesn't mention it in any other other of his uh, epistles, 12 epistles. It's just here. So this is a problem with the Corinthians. So we have limited data to go on. So all the scholars... They were legit. They agreed on that, and, th- and I agreed with that. That was kind of my baseline. We have very limited information here. Paul doesn't go into a whole lot of detail explaining what it was, so we got to keep that in mind. And then, so that's why I was just going with primarily information of how he uses knowledge nine times and Sophia wisdom nineteen times in First Corinthians because that was the context, uh, and we'll look at that in just a second. So, uh, with that, um, the other common thing that all the that I would consider respected exegetical Bible scholars and preachers from Augustine to Calvin to modern day, they kind of agreed on an overarching theme. And that was the gift of the word of knowledge and the gift of the word of wisdom. They're two separate gifts. They're not the same thing. They're not synonymous. They weren't given to every Christian. They were limited Christians. They weren't speaking of generic and general wisdom and not general and generic knowledge. Um, it seemed to be a spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit early on in the days of the apostles. The wisdom and the knowledge was related to the gospel of Christ. It was a benefit to the saints who heard it because they didn't have written scripture of the New Testament at the time. So they were agreeing on all those things, and it had to do. And the focus was the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, and so uh, that was the heart of it. And I, I tended to agree with that because that's what Paul says in First Corinthians. Many of them also said that, you know, not only do we have an absence of an outworking of an illustration of the Word of Wisdom and the Word of Knowledge in Scripture and in the Book of Acts explicitly, or in 12 other Pauline epistles, or in all the other general epistles, it's just not there. We also have an absence of it in church history for 1900 years, for 1950 years. Then all of a sudden in the 1970s, there's an explosion and all kinds of people worldwide are supposedly using and exercising the gift of a word of knowledge and a gift of the word of wisdom and today you can go on the internet has been spent a lot of time on google and youtube on spiritual gifts man there's all kinds of stuff. it's kind of scary actually and there was one i just punched in uh, the word of knowledge and poof one came up that intrigued me and it was uh, an introduction, survey, and lesson on how to use and get the word of knowledge. So I watched the video, and it's uh, an evangelical Christian. And it, the reason it was good is because it represents a very popular view today in evangelical Christianity that I would believe is influenced by charismatic Christianity. That uh, it's a gift for today. It's a specific gift. Actually, any Christian can have it. Any Christian can do it, and you get your, you can learn how to do it. And just so you know, the essence of it was: it's like having ESP or telepathy so that's answer number one the word of wisdom was the simplest way i could put it uh the word of wisdom what it is not it is not esp it is not telepathy it's not being able to have the spontaneous ability to read somebody's mind or to know something thousands of miles away and so uh if our video clip works this is one of the best illustrations i could think of literally of how the gift of the word of knowledge is being used or explained today take it away we'll go for the first 60 seconds on the 60 second clip that's Dorothy, by the way. Do we have volume? If it doesn't work, that's okay. Well, anyway, there's Dorothy, Wizard of Oz, scary movie. Uh, should have been like rated R, rated Z. Um, oh, here we go. Watch it. We get volume. <laughs>
1: Well, 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 house guess eh? <laughs> and who might you be? No, 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 now, no, don't tell me. <laughs> Let's see, you're, uh... You're traveling in disguise. No, that's not right, I've, uh... You're, uh... You're going on a visit. No, I'm wrong, that's... Uh, you're, uh... You're running away. How did you guess? <laughs> Professor Marvel never guesses, he knows. <laughs> now, why are you running away? No, no, now, no, don't tell me, uh... They uh, they don't understand you at home. They don't appreciate you. You want to see other lands, big cities, big mountains, big oceans. <laughs> Why, it's just like you could read what was inside of me.
0: Yeah, uh, oh,
1: Toto, that's not polite.
0: Okay, stop. Stop the tape. Anyway, um, that is exactly what is illustrated on the YouTube videos that I was watching of how you can learn to use the word of knowledge and actually how you implement it. And actually, you can turn on Christian television, same thing, the word of knowledge, where uh, typically they will close their eyes and they'll say, oh, yeah, I see somebody out there in the TV audience millions or thousands of miles away. Uh, I watched several of them this week. Uh, There's somebody out there that just got $50,000 from God that they needed. Oh, and there's another one. You have pain in your jaw. And, uh, the doctor says you need a wisdom tooth pulled, but God just healed that. You don't need your wisdom tooth pulled anymore. Uh, I got another word of knowledge that you, and on, you have lower back pain, and your back, there's, uh, tingling in your spine now, and you just got healed from the tingle, uh, the back pain, and then, and on and on, on it goes. So, this is, I'm not making fun of this, this is what is being practiced, and explained as what the word of knowledge is. And, You can, like I said, pull up a YouTube video and they're explaining this is what it is. The problem, there's a lot of problems with that. Problem number one, there are zero examples of that in the Bible, of anybody doing anything like that. And there's many other problems. Also, most of these are reserved for this spontaneous kind of healing that only the person with their eyes closed and has this vision. Actually, the word of knowledge is an utterance. It's not a vision. And it's not, but the thing I can compare, that, that's, these people are saying that they have ESP or telepathy and they can read people's minds. That is not what the gift of the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge is in scripture. Never defined that way and it is never illustrated that way. So, and this tactic of saying this is the word of knowledge and the spontaneous kind of thing, this didn't exist for 1950 years in the church. This did not exist, this practice, until, like I said, about the 1970s. That's how recent this is. So it's a modern phenomenon. And it's interesting how parallel it is to what we just saw in the video from the 1950s or david blaine world-class magician and illusionist i don't know if you know him i enjoy watching david blaine he does the exact same thing he goes up to people on the street and starts talking about oh you're you had an aunt named rebecca and whatever and people are just whoa this guy can read minds um but at least david blaine is honest enough to let us know it's a trick it's a trick it's not real he's not a witch it's not white magic it's not black magic uh he's an illusionist and a magician um so some of these practices are taken in from the secular world, from the ploys of char- charlatans, also from the occult and they're oblivious to that and being influenced by everything else that is not biblical. So we need to be cautious of that. So what it is not, it's, I can say definitively, it is not ESP, it is not telepathy, it is not limited only to those who need healing and also it is not a gift that is for every Christian. Paul's clear about that. Well, then what is it? Uh, the word of wisdom is uh, given by Paul. Go ahead and turn your Bible. Let's look at see see what Paul says about wisdom, first of all, because he just gonna, he expands on what he, the foundation he laid in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The first time Paul uses the word Sophia is in chapter 1, verse 17. So let's look at it real quick from Paul's own words. First, at verse 4 of chapter 1, he thanks them. Uh, he is praying praising the lord that they um believe in the gospel verse five he says that in everything you corinthian christians that he's about to rebuke for 16 chapters he's praising them i thank god that in everything you were enriched in christ especially in their giftedness in all speech and all knowledge there it is there's a, a reference to speaking gifts the word of wisdom is one of those speaking gifts and he specifically refers to the gift of the word of knowledge in verse 5. He's not just talking about knowledge in general. He is talking about the spiritual gift. Uh, he goes on, verse 7, you, you aren't lacking in any gift. Man, you, you got all the spiritual gifts that I can tell. At least you guys talk about them. Um, and then he exhorts them about their humility and their division. And then in verse 17, he gets. He, he alludes for the first time to this gift of spiritual wisdom. For Christ did not send me, John uh, Paul. By the way, they had an arrogant view of Paul because they thought they were smarter than Paul because they had more wisdom, Sophia, than Paul. So Paul has to put them in place. He wants to remind them, I am an apostle sent by God to you, your former pastor. You need a proper definition of what Sophia is. It's not the Sophia in the culture around you among the wise pagan Greeks. That is his point in verse 17 as he transitions into it. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in the cleverness of speech that you hear all around you, that you guys are defining as Sophia or wisdom, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness, which is the opposite of wisdom, to those who are perishing, but to us Christians who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy God, said the wisdom of the wise. That's false Sophia, false wisdom. And then verse 20, point blank says, where is the wise man? And these were the Corinthians who are boasting of having the gift of the word of wisdom. Where are you? Show me your gift. Define it. How are you using it? Is it a worldly one? Then it's pseudo. It's counterfeit. It is wrong. You need to abandon that view. I will explain later the proper view of the word of wisdom. Where is the scribe? Verse 21, for since in the the wisdom of God, the world through the wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So what is the wisdom of God? It's Jesus Christ crucified. It's the message Paul preached. Verse 22, for indeed Jews ask for signs, Greeks look at that. Greeks, pagan Greeks look for Sophia or wisdom. But instead Christianity, the apostle Paul, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, the stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. The opposite of wisdom. Verse 24 is key. But to those who are the called, to Christians, Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is wisdom, the word of wisdom. That has to be the focus and the hub of anything related to the gift of the word of wisdom. It is all about Christ. Paul gets more specific in chapter 2 about Wisdom. Go ahead and look at chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or with the wisdom of the world, the Sophia of the world. I came with a different kind of wisdom. It was the wisdom of God. And it was the wisdom that focuses on verse 2, Christ and him crucified. Verse 4, my preaching and my message were not in persuasive words of wisdom from the world, but in demonstration of the spirit and his power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of Lost pagan Greek men, but rather rest on the power of God through the truth of the gospel Verse six. Yet we do speak. Here it is. We do speak wisdom. There is true wisdom. I I believe the apostle Paul had the gift of the word of wisdom. We, the apostle Paul, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age. It's not of this world nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Verse 7, But we, the apostles, speak God's wisdom in a mystery. What is a mystery? The hidden wisdom of God predestined before the ages to glory. So Paul equates wisdom with the mysteries that have been trusted to Paul and the apostles that they unveil, unveiled after Christ ascended into heaven. And you can see that word mystery mysterion, about 12 or 13 times in all of the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles. And he says, I tell you a mystery, I tell you a mystery. And these were things that were not revealed in the Old Testament. A mystery in the New Testament is a truth that was not revealed in the Old Testament. For example, behold, I tell you a mystery. And then he explains the gospel. I mean, not the gospel, sorry. He explains... Uh, the rapture. The rapture is not taught in the Old Testament. You can't find it. First Thessalonians 4 says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you a mystery. The rapture. And so he does that about 12 different times. And every time he uses mystery or it comes with the ministry of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, and the unveiling of new truth, the uh, laying of the church And the new dispensation of the fullness of times and the fullness of information revealed by Christ through his apostles. And Paul calls it musterion or wisdom from God. And then Peter, in 2 Peter 3.15, reminds his believers, remember the apostle Paul, God has given our brother Paul an amazing gift. And he is able to reveal Wisdom. Some of which is very hard to understand, even for me, so Peter acknowledged that Paul had the gift of a word of wisdom where he was unveiling and revealing mysteries that have been hidden for ages and then Paul goes on in verse two chapter two of First Corinthians to explain even more what this wisdom of God is it is it 's mysteries it 's all about Christ, it is all about him crucified, so anybody that 's doing a A gift of the word of wisdom today, if it is not gospel centered, exalting the glory of Christ, then it's off based and not a true gift. But Paul says explicitly in chapter two of first Corinthians two times that this unveiling of this wisdom was given to him and the apostles. And it was. And here's the key. I believe the word of wisdom was the ability supernaturally and spontaneously by God in Paul's day to give supernatural, divine, special revelation regarding the mysteries of the kingdom and the mysteries of the church that have been hidden throughout the ages and now unveiled through the apostles. And they, Jesus said, I will lead you into all of the truth. He didn't say that to all Christians. That was only to the apostles when he said that in John. I will lead you through the Holy Spirit into all truth. And then the apostles were responsible for giving all truth to the church, to Christians, it was codified. It was written in Scripture. And so now we have all truth that God wants us to know in Scripture. And now we have and we have everything we need to know. We don't have everything we can know. We have everything we need to know. Scripture, and what we have is sufficient. That is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Very important. I have everything I need to know in Scripture. So if somebody comes along and says, uh, here's the gift of wisdom and the word of knowledge, and I got a word from God, and God said to me, and here's some new revelation. Mm. That's a problem because then you're undermining the sufficiency of scripture. You mean God's giving more information than is in the Bible? Because if that's true then your Bible is not sufficient. That's dangerous. And they might say, "Well, no, is it, are you telling me this new information is as authoritative as the Bible?" Oh, no. Well, then it's not from God. It's got to if it's directly from God, it's got to be equally authoritative. And if it's directly from God and equally authoritative, then why aren't we writing it down and adding another book to the Bible? Let's just makes sense that's consistent with what scripture teaches scripture is sufficient as god gave it that was the promise of jesus so based on first corinthians 1 and 2 i think paul makes it pretty clear what the word of wisdom was and he was gifted with that gift and he contrasts telling basically telling the corinthians you're exercising some gift but it ain't the right one because you're invoking worldly wisdom don't do that that is wrong so going back to your outline there what is um the word of wisdom well i think it was divine revelation what does that mean well it was special revelation what does that mean um it was the equivalent of scriptural truth divine revelation we are not getting ongoing divine revelation today the only divine revelation we have today i believe is in scripture this is divine revelation when they didn't have the New Testament yet and totally written down, God gave the apostles divine revelation and some of their associates. So I believe the gift of the word of wisdom was divine revelation. And I don't believe that divine revelation is being given today. Because we have our word, we have scripture, it is sufficient. By the way, uh, from what I could tell, this gift of the word of wisdom was given primarily to eyewitnesses of the resurrection, Jesus' ministry, of uh, the resurrection or to the apostles or the associates of the apostles, from what I could tell. So it was foundational uh, to giving sufficient divine revelation regarding the mysteries of the church to the church before they had Scripture. And I would say that we don't have this gift today. <gasps> Pastor, you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Oh, no, I do. And that is a criticism that frequently is alleged against those who are cessationists. Ooh, that's a big word. What's a cessationist? A cessationist is someone who believes that some of the spiritual gifts are not in operation today. Some gifts have ceased so you can't say I don't believe in the gifts because I do I believe in all of the gifts I believe in the do you pastor do you believe in the gift of the word of wisdom? Absolutely I don't have it. I don't think it goes on today, but I believe in it I believe the apostles had it. I believe they used it wielded it probably that's a a funnel that God used to give us most of Paul's Epistles much of his preaching came through his giftedness in that area. So I believe in all the gifts uh, you mean you believe that some of the gifts have ceased yes well that's kind of sounds kind of unspiritual well no and then i usually like to follow up and ask those people well do you believe in all the gifts yes do you believe that all the gifts are for today well yes do you believe there are apostles today well uh, i get that's usually the answer i get so one of my good friends we had this discussion and then he finally admitted well yeah i guess hmm i don't yeah i don't believe there are apostles today so i guess i take that back i'm a partial cessationist I said all right so uh, You've got to be consistent in your thinking. So if you admit that there were a limited number of apostles, the 12, the 12, the 12, the 12, they are called repeatedly in the Gospels. And then in Ephesians it says, God laid the foundation of the church on the apostles in the New Testament, prop the foundation. There were a limited number of apostles. Then they died. Then they will be recognized in heaven, in eternity, on the stones, in the new heaven, in the new Jerusalem. There's a finite number. There are 12 and no more. Matthias replaced Judas, and then Paul called himself a special apostle, so he will be recognized as well. So there's only 13. But there are many today in the evangelical community that say there are apostles today, They are ongoing. They have to say that because they want to say they believe in all the gifts. Because they want to keep practicing some of these others, like the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. So... I think it's pretty clear that there aren't apostles today, and I would say that this gift was reserved for the apostles and their associates because it was divine revelation. Let's go on to the next uh, point, number five, uh, the word of knowledge, what it is not. Same thing. Um, it's not generic general knowledge that all of us have access to. It's not that because we're all supposed to be keep growing in our learning and knowledge. That is not the gift of the word of knowledge, what it is not. It is not a gift that every Christian has. What it is not. It's not ongoing continual learning and study on our behalf. That's what it's not. It's also not ESP and telepathy and reading minds of people. Geared primarily towards spontaneous healings of lower back pains. As we are told in the last 50 years. Well, what is it? Well, it's very simple. Paul refers to knowledge nine times in this book of Corinthians. Uh, many times he puts wisdom and knowledge in tandem. So they're complementary ministries. He does that in Colossians, that Christ in Christ is hidden the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He even puts them in the same order in Colossians. So it's, it's Christ-centered. They go together, wisdom and knowledge. And again, he uses the same phraseology. It was the logos of wisdom, the logos of Sophia, an utterance of wisdom, supernatural divine revelation. And he uses the same word, and logos of gnosis, a logos of knowledge, an utterance, a statement, a verbal expression of supernatural divine knowledge and what i think the gift of the word of knowledge was based on my study was a spontaneous gift in the days of paul where which was similar to divine revelation but it was uh, a practical application of divine and biblical truth or scriptural truth or practical application of already revealed truth so a little different than wisdom wisdom uh, focused from paul on the mysteries of christ now being revealed And maybe the word of knowledge was a little more general and practical applications of it. The best example I could find is Acts 5, where Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. They stole money. They hid it from everybody. Nobody saw them. They go to church. They face Peter, pastor, elder. And out of the blue, Peter says, why have you tried to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, how in the world did Peter know that? Nobody told him. He never saw it. As far as we know, he didn't hear about it. God revealed that to him. That's one of, I think, the best examples of a word of knowledge that Peter had. It wasn't a mystery from the Old Testament being revealed for the first time. It was practical knowledge from God that the apostle had to apply a biblical truth. And it was limited. I think Peter had the gift of a word of knowledge. I think the apostles did. The apostles probably had most of the spiritual gifts. So a word of knowledge divine supernatural spontaneous infallible proclamation it was a verbal expression of divine and biblical truth whether revealed for the first time or maybe an application of a truth already revealed to a specific situation in the days of the apostles to establish their credentials that they are the authoritative representatives of jesus christ on the earth and they are laying the foundation of the earth and when they inscripturate or write biblical truth down it is to be taken accordingly they represent jesus christ as his spokesman on earth the apostles and I believe they used the giftedness, the gift of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And it's interesting that in no other epistle are these gifts referred to. No examples are given in the rest of the Bible. No examples are seen clearly throughout history until our modern day. Significant. So um, it's it's hard to really define what it is. But just using the context of 1 Corinthians, that's the best that I could do. And I got a lot of help from uh, great Bible teachers, even through history. As a matter of fact, John, Cal- when you think of John Calvin, what do you think of? Um, boy, people have weird thoughts about John Calvin. But anyway, you know what I think about John Calvin? The more I read John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s, early 1600s, I think of one of the greatest exegetical expositors of the original languages of scriptures in the history of the church. Really? And he's written a commentary based on the original languages of every book in the Bible save a couple that probably didn't happen because he died before he could finish. So I'm reading all these commentaries of mostly modern day theologians and and I wrote it all down and it's like, wow, they're kind of all over the map and they don't even agree. Why can't Christians agree for once? But anyway, so then I go back to John Calvin 500 years ago and it's just beautiful. He just nails it. And I'm thinking, I, I cannot improve based on what I study in the scripture of a definition of A word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and the humility of Calvin comes out because the first thing he says is we don't have a whole lot of information to go on here. He said that in the français, but they translated into English for me. Here's what Calvin says about the word of wisdom. It is the sublime truths of the gospel that comes right out of Corinthians. Directly revealed, that is divine revelation, amen, to the apostles, That's the context of the New Testament. Of which the Logos, the utterance, was the supernatural ability rightly to communicate verbally to others. Man, beautiful. The word of knowledge, according to Calvin. It is the faculty of infallibly explaining. Oh, that's a beautiful nuance of details regarding gnosis. Infallible explanation. That's why I do not believe, oh, this might cause problems. I disagree with John MacArthur on this one. But anyway, uh, John MacArthur says the word of knowledge is the ability to study Scripture really good and get a grasp on uh, Bible history and exegesis, and then to communicate it very clearly to your congregation. I'm thinking, that kind of sounds like the gift of teaching to me. And teaching is a distinct and different gift. The word of knowledge, how that's different? I agree with Calvin here. It is the faculty or the ability of infallibly explaining. See, that's where this is not the gift of teaching. If I have the gift of teaching, I don't have the gift of infallibly explaining. I make boo-boos all the time. We don't have this. We don't have anybody on earth today who is infallibly explaining anything on a regular basis. The faculty of infallibly explaining truths and doctrines which had been previously divulged. 500 years ago, John Calvin. Just beautiful. I think that comes right out of Scripture. Very, very helpful. I think that's what the Word of Knowledge is. So, yes, I would say this, the, the gift of the Word of Knowledge and the Word of Wisdom has ceased. It is not around today. It probably died with the last apostles and their associates. It probably died when uh, Scripture had been finalized and written down, and now we have the sufficiency of God's divine revelation here. We don't need a Word of Knowledge. We don't need a Word of Wisdom. If they they are indeed divine revelation from God, because if it is ongoing divine revelation from God, then it needs or needs to be consistent with Scripture. And if it is, then it is superfluous, and we don't need it. Or, but if it's contrary to Scripture, then it is wrong, and we don't need it. So that's why they're not around today. Now, and I'm not just saying that they're going to cease. Look at chapter thirteen of First Corinthians. Paul starts talking about the spiritual gifts, and he tells the Corinthians, and we'll close with this. Okay, Corinthians, you guys are putting too much emphasis on some of the spiritual gifts. You're putting too much emphasis on the speaking, showy gifts. Have you ever heard of the gift of helps or service? Because they weren't boasting about that gift. The main one that they were boasting about was the gift of tongues. And prophecy. And the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. The speaking gifts. And so Paul said, you know what? You're out of balance. You're out of kilter. You are practicing those gifts or saying that you are, uh, not being having deference to your fellow believers. You're saying it with arrogance. You're being divisive about it, big-headed about it. And you know what? You totally lack love. What in the world? What is the priority of Christianity anyway? It is love, the love of Christ. Loving God and loving your fellow man. That overrides the use of spiritual gifts. Love expressed through the life of a believer, trumps the use of spiritual gifts. That is the argument of chapter 13. And so look at verse 1, 13 verse 1. If I speak... So now he starts delineating specific spiritual gifts. Paul had the gift of tongues, and he says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, if I have the the gift of speaking in tongues, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love trumps misuse of gifts, misunderstanding of gifts. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy. See, spiritual gifts or tongues was a spiritual gift. Prophecy is a spiritual gift. And then in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, and if I have the gift of knowing all mysteries, musterion, Paul already said in Corinthians that musterion was related to wisdom. So what he's saying, if I have the gift of the word of wisdom and can reveal mysteries. And if I have the gift of the word of knowledge, that's verse 2. People get incredibly confused there and they think this is Paul's just saying, "Oh, if I have the gift of uh knowledge and I learning. It's not just generic learning. It is the gift of the word of knowledge. If I have the gift of the word of knowledge, which is direct and divine revelation, and if I even have the gift of faith, which he mentions also in 12, so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing." So he lists these gifts, uh the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, uh, the gift of wisdom through mysteries the gift of knowledge and the gift of faith those are five of the nine mentioned in chapter 12 if i do it without love i am nothing my priorities are wrong i don't represent christ accurately and then he goes on to verse 8 so get it through your heads this is what love is here's how it's defined here's how it manifests itself you haven't been doing that you need to be doing that and in conclusion verse 8 love never fails Priority number one. But if there are the gifts of prophecy, actually a better translation, love never fails. Love goes on forever. Love is eternally perpetual. Love carries over into the next life. Love carries over and continues to exist in heaven. When we get to heaven, the gifts of the Spirit are gone. That is his argument in verse 8. Love never fails. It continues. It goes on. It's the priority. It's a very manifestation of the character of Almighty God. But if there are the gifts of prophecy in your congregation, they will be done away. The gift of prophecy is temporary. That's why I believe the gift of prophecy has been gone since the days of the apostles because Paul said it right here. This is the precedent, biblically speaking, of cessationism. I believe in all the gifts, but not all the gifts exist at the same time. See, you have to admit that. Even if you believe, well, I'm not a cessationist, I believe in all the gifts, then I would say, well, do you believe that all the gifts exist at the exact same time all the time? And if you said yes, then there's, you can't defend that biblically because the first, what was the spiritual, first spiritual gift given? The gift of apostleship. It's in the gospels. Jesus prayed to the Father, give me my apostles. He gave him twelve. Those were, that was the first spiritual gift given. No other, some, many of the other gifts hadn't been given yet. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 says the gifts actually weren't given for use until after the ascension, when he went into heaven. Then he energized the gifts when he gave the Spirit on Pentecost. So the gift of apostleship was the first gift given. As far as we know, very few of the other gifts were even given yet. So there's an example of one spiritual gift existing while many do not. So it is possible for some gifts to be in play and functioning while others have ceased. They've gone dormant. They aren't needed anymore. And he says it explicitly in verse 8. Prophecy is going to be done away. There's going to be a time where the gift of prophecy is no more. Uh, look at the second part of verse 8. He says, if there, are, if there are the gift of tongues, they will cease. Middle voice in the main verb, meaning it's going to fizzle out in and of itself, all by itself. Tongues is going to lose steam and peter out and go into non-existence and oblivion. That is what that means. You don't believe the gift of tongues is for today? No, I don't for a lot of reasons, but here, here's a prophecy that said, Paul said tongues is going to cease, it's not going to exist anymore. And then in verse 8, if there's the gift of the word of knowledge, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying all knowledge and learning, and you can't go to college and university and elementary school anymore because knowledge is going to be done away. We're going to be learning in heaven, apparently, for all eternity. There's a general and generic knowledge. That's not what he's talking about in verse 8. He's talking about the word of knowledge, the gift he just mentioned in chapter 12 of divine revelation. The divine revelation, that uh, unique gift during the times of the apostles, at some point, the gift of the word of knowledge is going to be done away just like tongues and prophecy. So, Paul was a cessationist. And that's just keeping in the context of 12 and 13 because they go together. So, with that, uh, to sum up, uh, that gives us a lot to think about. Maybe you have thought prior to today that you thought that the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge was ongoing and in vogue, and maybe, actually, maybe you thought you had the gift. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but what I would ask you to do, keep searching the scripture, think, pray, talk, let's dialogue, let's keep researching together, and again, let's submit ourselves to the ultimate authority, which we agree is scripture. Scripture. And let that drive the ongoing conversation. Be open-minded. Be teachable. I have changed my mind time and time again on some of these things. I have changed my mind on uh, the definition of the word of knowledge over the years. And that change keeps coming from going back to the scripture. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm unclear about that. i got to go back again. So I've changed on a few things, asking the Holy Spirit to teach me so uh, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, we are all looking through a glass dimly. In other words, we are none of us are omniscient, right? And we need to be humble before Almighty God, the only omniscient one, as we help each other grow and learn together, most of all out of love for God and love for people, all for his glory. And with that, we can go to lunch, right? Let's do that. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and the opportunity again to gather with your people. And thank you for the practical reminder from the Corinthians, there, we are no different than the Corinthians, God. We need to admit that. We are sinful. We are fallen. We are frail. We are self-centered. And God, we need your help. We need uh, the Holy Spirit to convict us when we are that way. We need the scriptures to be the plumb line to give us objective uh, standard of how to live and even perceive ourselves so that we won't be divisive and arrogant and look down our nose at other believers or the world who doesn't have the salvation that we do. And God give us understanding when it comes to the spiritual gifts which is a very complex issue help us to continue to be teachable and also submissive to the truth of your word and that in the meantime we are gracious to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and we pray that it's all for your glory in Christ's name amen thank you for listening Dr. McManus is an author seminary professor and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship for more information about Dr. McManus Other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.